Hi, I'm Amber, also known as the Lone Star Keto Girl, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today I have a special guest with us. His name is Jason Carter. He is a nurse. He's been doing that for 11 years now. And what is so fascinating about, about him that I can't wait to pick his brain is he has been through the whole dietary realm, if you want to call it that. He's done, of course, the sad diet, who hasn't? And he's also... Uh, tried veganism and uh, keto and carnivore. So he's got perspective on all of this. Plus he has that health background. So I think that is super cool. So welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I, okay, I can't wait. Um, I have to know first off, how did you come to your social media name, Keto Apocalypse? I think that's so cool. <laughs> oh, so I, it's, half of it is based on the ketogenic diet. And then the other half of it is from the word apocalypse. And most people, when they think of the word apocalypse, they think of doom and gloom and just utter catastrophe. But the actual original Greek definition of apocalypse means the unveiling of knowledge, um, oh. the exposure of hidden knowledge. So I combined that with the word ketogenic diet and just combined it together. Oh my God, I love that. That I knew there had to Thank be a you. story behind it. I right. really, really love that. And I, I didn't know that. I, I right. Like you said, I took the meaning as being something that's more catastrophic or something. I right. love Most that. That do. is awesome. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> love it. Thank okay. You. So can you give us a little bit of background on your um, nursing career? Like, um, where do you work? Um, what patients you see? That kind of thing. Okay. Uh, so I've been a nurse for about 11 years now. Uh, mostly within the message field. Um, so I deal with a whole variety of uh, different diagnoses. I have patients who have diabetes, um, hypertension, coronary artery disease, many of the modern metabolic diseases that plague most humans to get today. Um, I deal with patients who have cancer, um, gallbladder infections, um, a whole host of, of different diseases. Wow, that that that's you. So you're seeing a lot. What is something that you see kind of as a trend, uh, like with your with your patients? What is something you think is a common denominator? Um, absolutely, obesity, diabetes, and coronary artery disease. Those three, yeah. without a doubt. I'd say any, on any given day. Any given day, at least 70, maybe 80% of my patients have those three diagnoses without a doubt. I'm going to go ahead and ask you a question from one of our followers, and let me sure. read it correctly. Um, a, a lady named Kim asked this. As a fellow nurse, I'm curious how your beliefs about keto carnivore affect your work situation. The health system I work for encourages the SAD diet, even after bariatric surgery. And our cardiovascular center promotes a plant-based diet to cure heart disease. So how do you deal with that? Uh, like, I have run into my conflicts with that and I still do currently. Um, sometimes I'll pull patients to the side and say, hey, the reason why your doctor is prescribing you these medications is because you're doing A, B, and C. Now, if you don't want to spend the rest of your life on these prescriptions, you can do X, Y, and Z. And I've, I've actually been um, disciplined for that, for lack of a better I was word. about to ask. Yeah, I, I've had doctors pull me outside and, and tell me, you know, you can't do that. 
I've been told that I can be sued for malpractice. I've been told that I can be suspended. Um, depending on the severity of the discipline, I could have my license suspended or even terminated. Wow. So I have to be very cautious with who I give this information to and how I give it. Um, because like the nurse said, I, I too am mandated to teach a specific type of diet and to teach specific pharmaceutical interventions that I myself don't agree with, but because that's considered, you know, nursing scope of practice, I, right. I have to do it. I have to, unfortunately. Uh, that's got to kill you. It does. It does. I, I actually, I had a moment in my life where I, I kind of broke down and I, I remember I just, I just mm -hmm. kept saying like, I'm sorry. Like I wasn't speaking to anyone in particular, I was by myself, but I remember I kept saying like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I realized I had been teaching the exact opposite of what was true for mm -hmm. a, a decade, really, a decade. And all those wow. patients that I thought I was helping, I, I really wasn't. I was doing the exact opposite. Yeah. And it just, um, it's a real inner conflict that I had within myself. And it, it was kind of the inspiration for me starting the social media to try to push that awareness out um, so that more people can get this information, you know, without me being penalized or punished for it within the workplace. Right. Well, thank you for doing that because that is a struggle. And I can't even imagine mm -hmm. that has to be so incredibly heartbreaking. I, it would kill Absolutely. me. And that's one reason why I chose not to get a degree and like become a dietitian because I knew mm -hmm. I was going to be, you know, constrained. And so right. I'm just doing a nutrition certification and getting as much education as I can that way, because like, right. I don't think I could deal with that. That would be very difficult. But like you said, you don't have a choice unless you want right. to end up, possibly losing your license. So that is sad. That is incredibly sad. And I know there are doctors because we know the doctors, I mean, out there who are trying to do good, but they, mm -hmm. they're putting themselves out there and they're risking being disciplined like you talked about. And, and, and I sickening. respect those doctors. I, I have yes. tremendous respect for those doctors. I really Me do. too. Me too. It's amazing because um, mm. they are, I, you know, you hear their stories and you're like, wow, how scary, you know, right, that they, right. when they try to to do something right they might get disciplined horrified exactly oh, okay just to make sure we don't run out of time because uh, sure i know too. lots of, of my followers are really curious about your uh, dip into veganism could you kind of tell us a little bit of like what was it why did you do that and what was mm -hmm. your condition like prior to starting that what was your reason okay so i was about 300 pounds at the time um, was short of breath. I was depressed, anxious, um, completely fatigued, had terrible insomnia, um, arthritis in my, my right knee, my left shoulder. And at the time I worked with a few uh, nurses who were vegan. And I remember there was this big push in uh, the vegan community. They were publishing documentaries. I remember watching this documentary called Earthlings. Then there was Forks Over Knives. And then there was maybe one other documentary that I can't remember. But by the time I finished watching those documentaries, I was hooked. You know, oh, that wow. combined with that combined with my education that I received in nursing school about nutritional science, it just made sense. You know, plants and and, and fruits and veggies is where all your nutrients are. Right. right. You want to eat green. You want to eat the rainbow. So I'm watching these documentaries <laughs> the and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, it's complete nonsense. But I'm thinking, all right, I I finally found the answer. I'm gonna do this vegan diet and I'm gonna 
drop off all the weight and I'm going to achieve the best health that I could possibly achieve. And within a year, year and a half, I found out that was completely false. And I tried it twice, by the way. Like for how long? So the first time I did it for a year and a half. And then the second time I tried it again for a year. And I, I failed miserably both times. Okay. So is that why you stopped the first time? Because you were noticing something wasn't right. So you stopped. And let me guess, you thought you might be doing it wrong. So you tried it again. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. you know, Been there, you get the that. typical, yeah, you get the typical response from vegans. Oh, you didn't do it right. You were yeah. never really a vegan. Right. You didn't eat this mango from that island. And it's just a whole bunch of dogmatic nonsense. But I fell for it and I decided to try it again. And of course it didn't work. Okay, so tell us why it didn't work. Like, mm. why did you think it failed? Okay, well, initially I thought it was working because I was dropping weight rapidly. You know, when you're surviving on spinach and apples and mangoes, <laughs> of course you're going to drop weight, right? So I, I was 200 pounds at the time. I maybe lost 60, 70 pounds and people were giving me compliments. I'm thinking, hey, like, wow, like this is actually working. But I still had insomnia. I was still depressed. I was still anxious. The arthritic, arthritic pain got even worse. Um, I started breaking out in my chest and my, my forehead. Um, just my, my whole quality of life began to diminish week by week by week. And I had to confront, I had to confront that with what I saw in the mirror. Because what I saw in the mirror was telling me, hey, you're doing good, you're thin, you're healthy how I felt inside was saying the exact opposite. That, that's, yeah, I, I hear this story a lot and, and it's mm -hmm. not surprising. And so you, you decided to stop and what did mm -hmm. you do then? Did you go back to the sad diet? Absolutely. Like, you did. Absolutely. Okay. I, I and what happened? Hard. Yeah. Okay. I, so I what happened? Hard rebound. I started eating pizza again. I started eating ice cream, cheeseburgers, french fries, any, everything that got me to 300 pounds, I basically indulged in it and I shot right back up. Oh, geez. And what yeah. about your conditions? Like your, you know, anxiety, depression and all that. Did that get better or did it get worse? What happened? It was, it was, it was the worst it's ever been. It was oh. the worst it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Cause oh, I was okay. frying everything in corn oil, canola oil, vegetable oil. Oh, it, it was horrible. God. Yeah. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you think back, you're probably going, oh my God, what was I thinking? I mean, I oh, did the man. same thing. I, I keep, you know, I keep my before photos on my phone and sometimes I forget they're even in there when I'm scrolling through my photos and I see the 300 pound Jason, I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> That's not me. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, know, I know that feeling very yeah. well. <laughs> it's almost like you start to, to think of that person as somebody completely different. Like yes. you don't really even know that person anymore and you kind right. of uh, feel, feel sorry for that person or you, you kind of want right. to help that person, you know, right. it's kind of this whole out of body experience or at Very least true. it is for me. Yeah. Okay. So you did it again. You did the vegan diet again. What mm. was different this time? What did you do the same exact things or did you do it correctly according to whatever you were doing wrong the first time? Right. So this time I made sure everything was organic um, I had the, the best apples, the best grapes. I even um, 
but imported seeds, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds, uh, barley, millet, all, all types of different things, all organic, all local, and still it didn't work. I was eating the meat substitutes, tofu. I was making smoothies. I did a, a plant-based jute fast. It, it was just, there was nothing I could do to reverse the damage that I had done to my body with that diet. Absolutely oh, nothing. Goodness, goodness. Absolutely God. nothing. Uh, and you definitely cringe now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I even joined uh, PETA. Oh. I joined PETA and I, I became one of those obnoxious vegans really? that felt morally, morally superior. Uh -huh. I remember I would be at work and I would judge people. I would see them eating, you know, chicken or whatever it was they were eating. And I would say, you know, how could you eat that? I would basically ruin their experience because I felt like I was saving the planet. Right. And right. I look back on it now and I was just like, man, I was so, so um, ignorant. So Do you think it's almost like a brainwashing, like, because it, it's, it's not really about health. They may say it is, but really it, it, it's a more of a um, moral it's, thing. A, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an ideology. Yeah. It's an ideology. Yeah. It's, That's it's the word based, I wanted. <laughs> yeah. It's based on ideology. It ignores nutritional science. It ignores uh, human anthropology. It ignores anatomy and physiology. is is all based on ideology, um, and it's it's they've turned it into a culture, rather than basing it on science. Um, and I don't think many people will realize that the people that are heavily uh, entrenched in the vegan diet, I don't think they understand that. Yeah, uh, they probably so don't. No, they don't because they they have a huge. Um, industrial marketing machine behind their movement oh, you know yeah, right so it's hard it's hard to kind of step out of that and look at it from the third person to see what's really going on yeah and, and when you're in the midst of you know you're in this crowd you're in your community you know mm -hmm. it's like an echo chamber and so exactly. it's hard to really allow anything else to penetrate your mind and yeah. i mean that happens with everything but i think it's mm -hmm. really prominent in that i mean even in carnivore it happens but um mm -hmm. okay so um you obviously stopped again but why and what did you do after that did you go back to sad or had you found keto what was that yeah so i i went back to side again um shot back up to 300 pounds <laughs> um and then i had a moment where i just felt like i had reached my breaking point and i had to find a way to lose weight and lose weight fast um so i started googling you know different ways to lose weight and i, I skipped maybe the first four pages of google search results because i had tried everything that they were recommending you know, low fat, fat free, uh, whole grains, all that nonsense was oh. maybe like the mm -hmm. first four pages yeah. of Google. So I'm skipping through that. And then this was back in 2013, 2014. And I finally reached something called the low carb diet. So I click on it. I'm reading different articles about it. And it's basically saying, you know, eat higher fat meats, eat low carb vegetables, low carb fruits if you want. You may, you could even include nuts and seeds if you want. So I decided, okay. I'm going to eat spinach, avocado, and eggs. And I'm going to fry the eggs in as much butter as I want. <laughs> so my Butter's goal was good. to hit, oh, it's absolutely wonderful. My goal was to hit 50 grams of carbs per day. 
Now, at this time, I had no understanding of nutritional science. I didn't know how to count macros. I was eating maybe 14 grams of car carbs per day, and I thought I was eating 50. So I, I kept doing that, and I remember on the 10th day, I woke up at 3 in the morning, and my brain was absolutely wired. Like, I had mental clarity. I had extreme focus. I felt energetic. My body felt like it was, it felt very light. You know, I felt like I had just this energy just emanating throughout my entire body. And I remember thinking, like, this is weird. Like, it feels good. But this, something is different. I don't know what this is, but something is off. So I started searching again. And eventually, I found out about something called ketosis. And my only understanding of ketosis was based on ketoacidosis, oh, yeah. <laughs> which I learned in nursing school. Right. So of course, you know, the, the, the nurse brain in me is thinking, oh my God, I'm in ketoacidosis, I'm going to die, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have to go to the ICU, all this nonsense. Um, and then eventually I found this book called uh, The Keto Clarity, uh, written by Jimmy, Jimmy Moore. Moore. Uh-huh. That and was one of my first. Yeah, I bought that book, I read it, and... As I'm reading the book is when I realized that everything that I thought I knew about diet and nutrition was absolutely false. Everything, like, it completely shattered the paradigms that I had surrounding nutrition. And that was kind of like the catalyst for my health journey. Wow. That, that's huge. And I know what you mean when you first actually uh, feel ketosis. For me, I didn't know how to put it in, into words other than euphoria. Right. Exactly. I felt euphoric and I had exactly. never felt anything like that in my entire life. Exactly. And it was, and it, I was shocked because I didn't understand how I didn't know about that. Something mm -hmm. so incredibly awesome. How did I not know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that started me on my journey of digging in and figuring out what it is. So I totally get that. So right. let me ask this real quick. Mm -hmm. When, you will actually go ahead and talk about how you got into carnivore. Cause I'll, I'll have a question after that. Okay. Um, well with carnivore, um, I was doing the ketogenic diet, but I found that it was, I was more so focused on weight loss. Um, I was still eating this sort of the same foods that maybe gain weight. So what I was doing, I was eating the keto substitutes, right? You know, so like, Mm -hmm. keto protein bars keto cupcakes keto brownies keto I did cheesecake. That. Mm -hmm. yeah all that kind of stuff and i realized you know my i just replaced my addiction to carbs with my addiction to like you know these sugar-free alcohol sweeteners and it actually what it did was induce more of an appetite and i would just you know binge on these keto bars and it would actually knock me out of ketosis yeah um so that actually led to me gaining weight again maybe about 40, 50 pounds. Um, at that point, I restarted the ketogenic diet. And this time I was eating uh, beef, eggs, cheese, and avocados. That's all I was eating. And then one day I found this forum called, um, I think it was called zerocarb.net mm -hmm. or something like that. Zero and and, carbs or something. Yeah, yeah, right. And um, basically the, there was an article saying that, you know, you really don't need to eat any vegetables or fruits. And I thought, like, that's absolute madness. Like, how like, am I going to get, yeah, like, how am I going to get my vitamins, my minerals, you know, my fiber? I completely ignored that I was already getting that from the meat and the eggs. I thought I was getting everything from just the avocado somehow. And um, I said, you know what? Let me try it. The only vegetable that I'm really eating at this point is avocado. 
what's the big deal if I just remove that avocado out? Let me see how that works. Um, so I did that and I noticed like my digestion improved dramatically. Um, the arthritic pain that I had in my joints, that started to go away. My sleep started to improve. Mm. Um, so I started looking more into it. And then maybe two or three months later after that, Sean Baker um, did a podcast on Joe Rogan. And I, I watched the whole thing. And that kind of like further cemented it that, you know what, this is the right path for me to go on. That's awesome. Okay. So now since you, you know, kind of talked a little bit about your journey, you were friends with a lot of vegans, I'm assuming, and you were in yes. that community. And it's, you know, not cool if you leave the community to begin with, but when they find out you're a carnivore, oh, have you had any backlash from that? Just curious. Yes. All types of hateful comments. Uh -huh. um, of course, I was told that I wasn't doing it right. I was never really a vegan. Um, I'm a disgrace. Or oh, any type of hateful comment you can think of. I received it. I had people stop talking to me. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was hard to deal with. But eventually I stopped caring because the transformation that I made to my health and to my physical form was much better. And it was much more satisfying than any type of uh, community that I was receiving from vegans. Yeah, I, I think that's what a lot of people end up finding out. And boy, I've seen some nasty, nasty comments hurled at uh, those who choose to uh, mm -hmm. move on to a different diet, specifically an all meat diet, mm -hmm. you know, completely different ideology, and it's just not okay. And right. I think that's really sad, because I think everybody needs to find what works for themselves. And you know, exactly. if, if you're good being a vegan, and, and you're getting what you need, and you're healthy, it's not my business. Hey, you know, right. in my back of my mind, I'm going, Oh gosh, I hope you're supplementing. Oh gosh, I hope you're doing it. But you know, right, right. that's just because I care, but you know, right. yeah. So that's, that's kind of hard. Um, a, a quick question. Sure. When you were uh, doing the vegan diet, did you have digestive issues like, uh, you know, uh, constipation, um, yeah. in, in, anything like that? Oh man, severe bloating. Um, constant flatulence, like just ridiculously embarrassing flatulence, yeah. um, constipation for sure, which boggled my mind because, you know, you're told to eat 25, 30 grams of fiber per day. And I'm pretty sure I was hitting that and then some, maybe 40, 50 grams of fiber a day. And all that fiber was doing was just plugging me up. That's all it was doing. Um, no matter, I would drink a lot of water. It, it got actually got to the point where I had to start taking Metamucil. I had to start taking different laxatives. I had to start using enemas. It was just absolutely ridiculous what those foods were doing wow. to me. But I was so, I was so convinced that I was doing the right thing because mm -hmm. I had this community around me, because I had the documentaries. I had, you know, the, the rallies that we have in New York City and Union Square, these big vegan plant power rallies. I was so convinced that I was doing the right thing and I was completely ignoring my body. Mm, okay. I get a lot of flack when, when I post something about fiber or the fact that, that I eat just meat. I don't, I don't mm. eat plants except for some spices. And um, yeah, I always inevitably, I'll have a comment that says, but you need fiber. <laughs> Your gut needs fiber. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, why would you eat something that is not digestible by your 
body unless it was like, you know, a dog eating grass to make themselves puke or something, you know, exactly. it just doesn't make sense. Yes, the bacteria can ferment it, but if you want mm -hmm. to talk about something rotting in your gut, that's what's rotting in your gut, not me. And, right. and so they, like you said, people have this in their head that fiber is, is essential. Well, I have been fiber free for 18 months with zero issues. Matter of fact, mine are much better. What is your take on uh, the health benefits of fiber? And do you really need it? I mean, mm -hmm. what, what have you, what, you have a medical background. So, you know, I'm sure you've learned about how important it is and you need to have a certain amount and all that kind of stuff. Right. What's your take? I don't think it's necessary at all. In fact, I think the whole reason why fiber is propagated so much is to justify us eating uh, eight to 12 servings of whole grains and six to seven servings of, of fruits and vegetables daily. Um, then there's another argument that fiber is beneficial to the microbiome yes. and that it helps us you know, ferment our foods. And really our microbiome is not designed to ferment plant foods. Those, you know, we're not ruminant animals. Um, then there's the other idea that fibers are needed to uh, create bulky stools so that you can pass your stool properly. And my whole approach to that is, why would you eat something that is undigestible so that you can pass foods that you shouldn't be eating in the first place? You know, what would happen if you stop eating those foods that you shouldn't be eating then you'll find out, hey, I don't need fiber, right? Because I'm not yes. plugging my colon yes. up yes. with seeds and grains and plants. You know, now that I'm not plugging my colon up with that, I can just pass the stool out with no issues whatsoever. But these, these medical communities and these dietary associations, they push this idea that you need fiber in order to justify their their diet recommendations of eating whole grains, eating plant-based, eating seeds and nuts and all of this other nonsense. If you've removed that, you'll quickly find that fiber is absolutely of no use. Yeah, I mean, I figure uh, there, there are people who have been doing carnivore, eating meat, eating meat only for 20 years, and they mm -hmm. are in better health than most people, you know, at least yeah. in the U.S. anyway. And right. so obviously it's not essential. I mean, exactly. I survived with 18 months without it and I have no more constipation, no more pain, no more bloat, basically no gas, you know? Right. <laughs> and so it doesn't make sense that you eat something that would create these problems and then think that that's normal because I used to think that was normal. Like when I switched over to keto, but I was still eating a lot of vegetables, I still had that mm -hmm. issue. But I thought that was how it was supposed to be because it's so much better than when I was on SAD. But then right. when I went to carnivore, it was like, whoa, this is what digestion feels like. Good digestion. Exactly. And, and so it boggles my mind that, you know, we've been so brainwashed to believe some of this stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we, well, we, we live okay. in a country where we grow millions of acres worth of corn and wheat. And you go into your grocery store and at least 70% of their products are wheat-based or corn-based. So, so true. of course, they're going to tell you that you need fiber, of course, because they, they, they profit hugely from that. They're not going to tell you what you need to really transform your health. They're going to tell you what you need to eat in order to improve their revenue. And I don't think most people understand that. 
perfectly said. I'm going to quote that. I'm going to take out that quote and make a meme because that was good. That's a Jasonism. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think that is just so frustrating. And, and then, uh, you know, to, to push that and then to have these issues like Crohn's and IBS and all these right. things that are becoming more and more prominent. I mean, mm-hmm. and if in so many because I do a lot of success stories uh, th- through Meet RX. And so I hear these stories all the time, how people have improved that. So mm-hmm. by, by getting rid of the fiber of the plants, and I'm not mm-hmm. demonizing plants, I'm not. But, you know, if you're having issues like that, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to remove some of that, heal your gut, then maybe try eating it, some of it again, the, the better, mm-hmm. you know, fiber-based foods, if you will. Right. Okay, let me get to um, some questions here. Okay, you talk a lot about how the way you do carnivore is you have a higher ratio of fat than uh, you do of protein. You're more moderate protein, I guess. Why um, did you settle on that and what has made the difference for you? And do you think that is a good thing for everyone or is it, specific to the person. I know that's a lot, but. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so when I first started carnivore, I took the advice of most of the veterans that I saw on the internet who basically said, eat meat and drink water, have as much meat as you want. So that's what I did. I would eat sometimes up to three or four pounds of meat a day. And it helped me lose weight. It helped me, you know, put on muscle. It helped, you know, uh, with my sleep and so on and so forth. But I noticed as time went on, that I was still dependent on caffeine for energy. Um, I noticed that I started developing a histamine intolerance. Um, I noticed that, um, I don't know, my, I guess my digestion wasn't as great as it was during the first year, year and a half or so of carnivore. And then I started developing some, some food sensitivities. Mm. Um, also what I noticed, actually, actually what the trigger was for me is I had my blood sugar tested uh, this February with the doctor, my fasting blood glucose was 95. Oh. And according to mainstream medicine, that's normal, but I would prefer it to be in the 70s. Right. Um, my a- A1C was fine. I, I'm not, you know, diabetic or pre-diabetic, but I noticed, you know, while I was on this high protein carnivore, my blood sugar was always in the 90s, sometimes lower hundreds. Uh, my ketones was only 0.4, maybe 0.5 max. So I was never actually allowing my body to keto adapt. Um, it's only within the last month or so that I decided to try the high fat approach. And I was nervous because I thought if I'm eating such little protein that I'm going to lose muscle, mm-hmm. like all of my efforts in the gym would mm-hmm. completely go away. Um, but what I'm noticing within the last few weeks is that I sleep much better. My energy okay. and focus throughout the day is much better than when I was on high protein. Um, I because I'm in a therapeutic state of ketosis, my body's naturally sparing its muscle. So I don't have to worry about muscle loss per se. Um, my appetite is much better than when it was on a higher protein approach. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel better overall when I'm in that deep therapeutic range of ketosis. Um, I wouldn't say that it's for everybody. I think everyone should give it a try. But some people are absolutely able to thrive on high protein carnivore. Mm-hmm. And if it works for them, that's great. But I think you have to take into consideration your past medical history 
any current medical uh, ailments you may be dealing with um, before you decide, you know, on which type of carnival you should try. For me personally, high fat is it's absolutely beneficial. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, like I, I know some women uh, when they're trying to balance their hormones, like, you know, various times of their lives that they need to adjust that fat to kind of help some of, of that, you know, help, you know, whatever during like uh, the child rearing years, like some people right. who are having issues uh, getting pregnant. And so mm -hmm. they like up the fat so their hormones can do their thing. And right. You know, and, and then you have the opposite too. Like sometimes when you like <laughs> my age, getting into menopause and mm -hmm. uh, needing to lower that fat a little bit. But mm -hmm. uh, just out of curiosity, when you say moderate protein, um, do you have a guesstimate of how many grams of protein you eat? Because I'm curious what that looks like for you. I know what I eat, but right. So most men, um, if you're taking a high fat approach, only need between I would say 60 to maybe 90 grams of protein per day. Um, and that can vary based on your, your height, your weight, your level of physical activity. Right now I'm making my max at 75 grams of protein okay, per day. Wow. And that's been working well for me. It's, it's mentally, I'm still trying to get used to it because I'm so used to eating 200, 300 grams of protein a day. Wow. That's and a big I, difference. I, yeah. And I had that, that bro science mentality where, you know, more protein means more muscle. So I'm still working on like undoing that conditioning and realizing that this high fat carnivore portion I'm taking is about healing my body. It's not so much about aesthetics, not so much about building muscle, but it's really trying to heal my body. And then I can focus on fitness and aesthetics after that. I, that is perfect. Perfect. What you just said. And I think mm -hmm. that's what a lot of people are coming to finally understand is that you got to focus on the health first. You got to get Absolutely. your body healthy so it can work for you and quit worrying so much about aesthetics. Like you said, the outside, your body don't care what you look like on the outside. Don't care. It's about survival. It's about doing what it needs to do to keep you alive. Right. Not so you look all good in a picture and can fit in your cute jeans and stuff. So right, right. yeah, it's, it's, that's a huge thing. And I'm seeing more and more people step up and do that and be mm. okay with maybe not looking perfect on the outside for a while so they can heal and I love that I love that I think that mm. is such a such an important message and that is something that I for most of my life have just kind of pushed aside you know because it's all about how you look it's all about the number on mm. the scale and so it's always about weight loss weight loss weight loss right. and now with my clients I try that I coach I try mm. to work more on let's get you healthy how about we get right. healthy first and then we'll start really worrying about the, the weight right. Right. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, who, who wants to be large? You get yeah. it. But health that, is so, that, so important. I think social media amplifies that. Um, because I, I can't tell you how many times I received a message asking me what I eat, when I eat it, uh -huh. how do I eat it? Because uh -huh. they see a transformation photo and they think I'm going to do exactly what he or she's yeah. doing so I can look like that. And that, yeah. that's not how it works. <laughs> exactly. You know? That's, that's yeah. not how it works. You have to take it to account your own level of physical activity, your own past medical history. Um, we, we're, there's such a thing called bio-individuality. Yes. Most people don't understand that. Yeah. So now I tell people like, hey, like, don't do exactly what I'm doing. If you want to do the high fat approach, that's great. If you want to do high protein, that's great. But me telling you what I eat in a day, 
is not going to help no. you. I'll tell you what foods no. to eat, but you can't mimic me and think you're going to have the same results. Like humans that don't work like that. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. Another quote. That's another good one. <laughs> but it's the truth. That is so true. And I get it all the time. And I, I like with you, I, I'm trying to take the focus off of that. So on my social media, I've stopped posting as much about the before afters. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not doing that as much and I'm trying to kind of focus more on the health aspect every once in a while mm -hmm. I will, but, um, mm -hmm. I, I try not to make that a big deal anymore because I think there's way too much focus. How, what did you do to lose that weight? Yes. Well, how about we talk about let's heal your body, <laughs> you know, and right. then yeah. the weight should follow when you're ready. Right. Uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Um, Okay, I just started. Okay, uh, Danielle, the, I just interviewed her, you know. Oh, actually, her, her uh, uh, podcast version is coming out today. Um, awesome. So she wanted to know, what are some good fat sources for someone who's doing carnivore who can't eat eggs or dairy? Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I use. I use grass-fed, it doesn't have to be grass-fed, but I use grass-fed uh, beef fat trimmings. Um, sometimes I'll use ghee. Uh, just the other day, I posted some camel fat that I actually buy yeah. from Amazon. Um, what else do I use? I think that's pretty much it. Or, or pork fat. So it's mostly okay. like the animal fat trimmings, ghee, tallow, or the camel fat is what I prefer to use. Tell me about camel fat. Does that have like a weird taste? What is that? I mean, it has a nutty flavor. It has a nutty uh -huh. flavor, flavor, but I bought it just because, just, you know, just the appeal of eating camel fat. I just decided to buy it, but also it has a high smoking point, um, oh. which makes it great for frying foods. And it also has a very high source of vitamin B12. So that's what kind of sold me cool. on it. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. I may have to try that. Just, I, I, I've been doing like these, you know, trying things like liver mm -hmm. in various ways and different organs, just because I've always been squeamish about that. So I'm forcing myself to do it and, mm -hmm. you know, put it on video because my reactions are pretty dang funny, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I try, I really do. I try. So I think that's a cool thing. I may have to try that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I know that you were eating raw. Um, mm -hmm. Are you still doing that? Yeah. So I, I people have this uh, idea that I eat only raw. Uh-huh. I do occasionally eat cooked foods, but yes, I, I eat both cooked and raw foods. And what do you eat raw? Like just steaks or like? So mostly beef, um, liver, lamb brain, uh, fat, oh. heart, um, salmon. Um, that's pretty much it. I haven't, I've yet to try raw chicken or raw pork, but it's Ooh, mostly, the, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do want to try it though. I, I do want to try it, but mostly beef and, and fish I eat raw. So why did you decide to do that? Is that how you prefer it? Like it, it's just mm -hmm. better for you, you know, taste-wise, or was it for health reasons? It was for health reasons. I saw a few videos on YouTube with people uh, promoting raw carnivore, and they explained the benefits and how um, they felt like it digested much easier. And then some, some people explained that cooking food actually – uh, destroys some of the beneficial bacteria in the meat. It can actually denature the protein and it destroys some of the vitamins, specifically B vitamins. Um, 
supposedly I think up to 70% of B vitamins are destroyed when you're wow. cooking meat. Um, then some people said that, you know, when you're cooking meat, you're, you're pulling out the natural water that's found within the meat. And so I, I just decided, you know what, let me try it. I had to get over my fear of germs and, and uh, stomach viruses and things like that. And I noticed like right after eating it, I had good digestion before, but when I eat raw, it's almost as if it feels like I didn't eat anything at all. Mm-hmm. It's like within an hour, it's like it's completely wow. processed. Um, I also noticed this calming sensation throughout my body. Huh. I feel much better hydrated. And I kind of believe it's because when you cook food, you kind of leach out the water, the natural water, the structured water that's within the meat. When you eat it raw, you're digesting the water in its natural form. Whatever sodium or potassium that's contained within the muscle at the time of slaughter, you're eating it in the correct ratios. Um, So I didn't feel the need to add salt. I didn't feel the need to drink as much water. Um, I wasn't experiencing any muscle cramps at night. Um, I just felt like I was better hydrated when I eat raw meat, especially raw fat. Interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I have eaten raw meat and mm-hmm. I can, it, 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 it doesn't like gross me out. I just don't find it as um, pleasurable, if you will, <laughs> you know? <I> understand. I understand. <laughs> but uh, I definitely could do it. And matter of fact, the best way I found to eat liver is raw because that's some yes. vile, vile, yes, vile yes. tasting stuff. When, when it's, it's cooked. cooked, I can't stand oh. it. Yeah. Yeah, but the, but the texture of the raw, that's kind of vile. But if it wasn't <laughs> for the texture, I could actually do that because mm. the cooked version of liver, I have yet to find a type of liver or a way of cooking it that was okay. Me too. I've soaked, Me too. I've, you know, liver and onions. I, I've done it all. I mean, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's well, just not working for me. there's two foods that I refuse to eat raw and that's pork belly and ribeye. I refuse to eat those raw. Like, Pork belly and ribeye, I have, to, I yeah. just have to cook because it, it's Why? just the flavor. Oh, because it's so good cooked. Is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah It'd like, be like to ruin it to eat it raw. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's like gotcha, waste, gotcha. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's too funny. Yeah, I can see that. And I'll tell you a secret. Well, I guess I've mentioned this before. I don't like fatty meat. I really? don't, I know. And I call okay. myself a carnivore. I don't know. I've never enjoyed fat, like, like eating mm. the actual fat. Um, I, mm. I, 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 I maybe it's because partly the texture. And mm. to me, sometimes the fat, when you bite into it, it just tastes like oil. Like, and right, I don't yeah. like the taste of oil. It, it kind of yeah. reminds me of, and I hate to say that canola oil. I know it's not, but there's, yeah. there's certain, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was because I I was fat free for so many years that I I, I don't know who knows but <laughs> yeah I still haven't quite uh, developed a taste for ribeyes <gasps> I know that's terrible but <laughs> okay, let me check time and just make sure okay all right yay okay um do you, okay we can already hit that actually I'm not gonna ask that one um oh. I definitely want to get to this one. You did a post on hypoglycemia and diabetes. And 
I thought that that's probably one of my most favorite posts that you've done. Uh, I thought it was very informative and I think you kind of hit on something that people don't really think about. Um, when, when I was doing keto and I would check with my blood uh, monitor, my blood sugar would be like in the fifties, mm -hmm. but I felt fabulous, but that right. would kind of be considered low, right? Right. So talk about how there is a difference uh, worrying about hypoglycemia when you're eating basically crap foods versus when you're eating what's right for your body and, and how you're feeling that the right. number is not necessarily indicative of, of something mm. bad. Mm. So when you are a carb burner, your, your body can only store but so much carbs. Um, once you run out of that, your body will start dropping its blood sugar because it has no income of fuel. Um, so when your blood sugar starts to dip below, I would say 70, you'll start feeling confused. You might start feeling dizzy, um, fatigued. Uh, you might feel, uh, you might start sweating profusely. And in the hospital, you know, that's kind of an emergency. Like we have to rush to give you juice or we have to get this huge syringe, which is basically sugar. So we're dumping sugar into your blood to restore your energy reserves. However, if you are a fat burner, your body understands that you are now using fat as its primary source of fuel. So your blood sugar can drop down and you will not experience any of those symptoms because your body's running on a more efficient fuel, a fuel that's designed to last you for weeks, even months, if you decide to not eat, depending on how much body fat you have. And I don't think many healthcare professionals aren't trained on this because they have this idea that blood glucose is the primary source of fuel, is the uh, preferred source of fuel. Right. And I, I kind of have a theory about it, and I, I'm, I could be wrong. And my theory about it is I don't think it's so much that your body prefers to use glucose. I think it recognizes that glucose is so toxic to the body if above a certain amount that it has these biochemical processes to quickly digest that fuel to bring your blood sugar back down so that it doesn't become toxic in the body so that it doesn't cause um, uh, system, systemic inflammation. Um, I think scientists interpret that as the body preferring to use sugar. I say no, I say the body's really trying rapidly to bring that blood sugar down to prevent toxemia in the body but I could be wrong. <laughs> I think that's a great theory and it makes complete sense if you kind of understand the whole picture, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. just what, you know, you're kind of taught in, in nursing or medical school. So mm -hmm. yeah. They're, okay. Um, can you talk about what are the signs of hypoglycemia? Like when you're actually having the signs, not just the number on the meter. Right. So what I always see is dizziness, fatigue, confusion, um, profuse sweating, um, just overall weakness and extreme hunger. Those are like your classic mm -hmm. telltale signs of hypoglycemia. And anyone who's been diabetic long enough can actually tell when their sugar is low based off of those symptoms. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, so you answered that part. Um, I actually just found out that my dog is diabetic. 
I'm having to give insulin to my dog. Wow. Now, I was feeding her like supposedly the good dog food and mm -hmm. pricey dog food that we would order. And um, she, and we, I mean, I'm not saying she never got table scraps, but it wasn't like I was feeding her cake or, you know, you know, lots of bread and, you know, stuff like that. Um, right. I would occasionally give her some vegetables. She loved asparagus. I don't know what the deal was with that, but then I find out that's not the best thing for dogs. I think if I remember right, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, a few things like that, but for the most part, it was what, was supposed to be good for her. And then she started having like a, a panting a lot and drinking tons of water, which mm -hmm. I understand that's a sign of diabetes. And so we were kind of yeah. like, Oh, maybe she's got diabetes. And then within four days, she lost her sight. So by the time we were able to get her to the vet, they were like, oh, she is severely diabetic, like really Whoa. high blood glucose. So we're having to give her shots now. Mm -hmm. And and we, we've completely changed her food. We were in the process actually anyway of switching her to a raw diet um, mm -hmm. and, and getting away from any of the other stuff. Cause you just never know. You get this stuff, you know, where it comes from, what it's tainted with. So we just decided we were going to, cause our dog's health was kind of, you know, they're older, but still. And, mm -hmm. and so we were just concerned. So we started moving it to, you know, more to, to raw. And um, before we could do that, it was too late. It was too late. So wow. I'm giving my dog insulin twice a day. Wow. Yeah. And wow. so I, I, diabetes to me is a huge thing and you see that every day. What are mm -hmm. your thoughts on that? I mean, like, what does that make you feel like when you see so, so many people and, and you're just like, I can help you, you know, before it's too yeah. late. Yeah. Well, I tell them, I make sure that they know that diabetes is reversible. It's not, it's not a death sentence. It's not something that you're stuck with for the rest of your life. So long as you choose to adopt the right lifestyle and the right diet. Um, I, many times patients complain when I have to give them insulin. They don't like being stuck when I have to check their blood sugar. They don't like being injected three or four times a day. And I tell them, hey, I don't have to stick you. You know, there are interventions you can implement so that you don't need to uh, stick yourself with insulin three or four times a day. And I, I wish doctors would take the same approach because the answer to diabetes is you need more insulin, you need more insulin. And that's a band-aid approach to diabetes. It doesn't solve the root cause of diabetes. It, it's, you're just dumping insulin after insulin after insulin, and it's going to create something called hyperinsulinemia, uh, and that's just going to make you even more insulin resistant. Uh, I tell them, you know, you can adopt certain foods that your body will not need so much insulin, right? And when you start eating foods where your body doesn't need to secrete so much insulin, that'll actually give your pancreas a break to let it rest, to let it regenerate, to let it heal so that you're no longer insulin resistant. But... Um, Many people are unwilling to give up the foods that cause the diabetes in the first place. And I think a huge part of it is because people see food as an entertainment and not as a fuel source for the body. You know, they don't, they yeah. don't perceive it as something that allows my body to function from day to day. They view it as, you know, their favorite entertainment. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I think they understand, everybody knows diet and exercise is like 
the cure for like probably 80, 90% of the disease, the diseases out there, but it's trying to get past that conditioning that what you're eating is not really benefiting your body. It feels good. It tastes good while you're eating it, but your body doesn't know what to do with what you're putting in your mouth. It doesn't, it, it can't register, you know, whatever's on your plate. That's not real food. Doesn't know what to do with it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I see it every day and it's sad to see. I see patients who don't know they're diabetic until they arrive to the hospital and their blood sugar is over 500, you know, and that's when they find out they have diabetes mm. or they come in three months later and now their foot has to get cut off yeah. because they have neuropathy or, or gangrene or now they're on dialysis because their kidneys is failed. And I try to tell them like, hey, like, let's, let's stop it now before you get to that point. Because if you keep going on this path, that is going to be your future. I, I try to be as blunt with them as I can and say, hey, if you keep eating, it doesn't matter like how much insulin I'm giving you. You know, they think they can eat the cookies and the bread and they'll just fix it real quick with yeah. insulin. This is going to be your future if you continue on this path. And sometimes I'll show them pictures and kind of instill some fear in them. And it, it works, I'll say, most of the time. Once they see what their fate is, then it kind of motivates them to say, all right, let me... You know, let me at least have a diet cola instead of a full, full sugar loaded cola instead, you know. Um, so I just try to educate patients on their diet, you know, when I see them come in with diabetes. Yeah, I, I think that is so incredibly sad. Um, I have a cousin who um, has been in the hospital for a while and I could show you a picture <laughs> of what mm -hmm. they've had to do to his foot. And he's had, you know heart issues and he was mm -hmm. almost on dialysis and it's pretty much a matter of time and just mm -hmm. horrible stuff like that. And he claims he followed the ADA, their guidelines. So what do you think about that? <laughs> Let me tell you what, I won't name the hospital, but most hospitals do this. At my hospital, a diabetic tray, they'll give you a tray with pancakes, Oh God! Oatmeal, uh, orange, uh, I think applesauce. Oh my God! But, but they'll give you sugar-free syrup, and because they give you sugar-free syrup, that classifies it as a diabetic diet. Wow! Wow! So wow. they they completely ignore that the pancakes, the oatmeal, the orange juice, the 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 apples, all of that stuff is going to spike this person's blood sugar up. They think because they're adding sugar-free syrup. <laughs> that makes it a diabetic diet. And it's, it's really, it boils down to cost. They, they, hospitals don't feed patients the food that they really need to improve their health. They uh, feed them foods that's affordable, that's cheap, and that's mm -hmm. subsidized by the government. So when you come mm -hmm. to the hospital, you're gonna, everything you eat, like 90% of what you're eating is corn and wheat base. I, I even had patients tell me like, hey, you know, it's only when I come to the hospital that my blood sugar is so high. At home, my blood sugar is... 110, 115, 98. But when I come here, my blood sugar is 250, 300. I don't get it. And I tell them flat out, it's the foods that you're eating. Oh, the so-called wow. diabetic diet that they have you on is what's spiking your blood sugar. That is, uh, that is sickening. I know when my mom went in for, for a procedure and afterward they wanted her to eat something. And so they were going to bring her cookies and juice. And I was like, um, no, 
excuse me, no, no, that's not yeah. happening. And right. I said, I brought me some bacon. That's what she's going to have. <laughs> so I had me a little baggie of bacon because I had a feeling mm -hmm. that's what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, okay. <laughs> yeah, because the Fine. answer to everything is, is based on pharmaceutical interventions. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how healthcare practitioners are taught in med school. They're not taught about diet and nutrition. If they are, they spend maybe two, three days, maybe a week at best, learning exactly. about nutrition. And even that nutrition is outdated science. The, the, the most of what they're taught is pharmaceutical intervention. You come in with this symptom, do this test, give them this pill, give them this injection, send them on their way. And that, that never addresses the root cause. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. We are almost out of time, but I wanted to, mm -hmm. um, let me find the kind of a, kind of a fun one. I suppose that I was asked, uh, okay. So basically what they're asking is when you were a vegan, what did you experience that you look back now and realize it was complete myths? What are some of the myths that you hear about all the time that vegans claim or say that are not true, that, that you felt were true at the time, like fiber, for instance, could be one, um, mm -hmm. that now you uh, look back and go, what was I thinking? Fiber is definitely one of the myths. Um, the other myth was the, how plant-based protein is, more easily digestible. Um, that was a huge myth. Like I noticed that I was losing weight, but a lot of that weight was actually muscle. I was, I was wasting oh. away, you know? I was wasting away and didn't realize it because I was just focused on the numbers I saw on the scale. Um, another myth was, you know, uh, eating the rainbow, right? Make sure you're eating, you know, your reds, your yellows and, and mm. purples and blues or whatever. And that made absolutely no sense to me. Like it, it, it didn't change anything. Um, another myth was drinking um, green juices to detox. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. That was another myth. If anything, that just fed a much more toxins into my body that I shouldn't have been taking in in the first place. Um, another myth that I fell for was, uh, you know, the whole. Uh, climate control, climate damage uh -huh. myth that's being pushed around about meat. I heavily believed in that. Um, then there was the, the, the whole, I, one thing I don't understand is how they demonize meat products so much, but they're willing to invest billions of dollars to make meat replicas. Yeah. It makes <laughs> absolutely no sense. Yeah. Like, you're investing billions of dollars to make something look and taste like the very thing that you said cause heart disease, cause death, uh, uh, causes global destruction, but you're spending so much money to make the exact replica of that product. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, now, when I look at vegan documentaries, I just see this as a bunch of nonsense. Oh, I Especially bet. like the, the most recent one, I think was What the Health? Yes. And basically <laughs> within the first 20, 30 minutes of the documentary, they said that meat causes diabetes. I, I shut it off after that. Like I, I, I <laughs> there's only so much I can tolerate. <laughs> I had to shut it off. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty bad. <laughs> You're just like, wow. Yeah. 
too funny. Okay, so if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who's trying to get their health back on track, and I'm not just talking about losing weight or whatever, but getting their health back on track, what would it be? What, with all your experience and your medical background, what would you say? I would say that they need to change their relationship with food. They have to stop looking at food as a means of entertainment. They have to stop looking at food as a means of filling a void. They have to understand that food is a fuel for the body, that your body is a machine and machine can only run as well as it can based on the fuel you put in it. Um, so once you change your relationship with food, then I think that's, that's like the catalyst for starting to improve your health. But until then, you, you may have a very difficult time. If you, if you view food other than what it was intended for, you may have a difficult time. I could not agree more. I love that. <laughs> I have all kinds of little snippets I can't wait to take out of this. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> okay, so where do you see yourself in the future? Like you're mm -hmm. wanting to promote this. And, and like you said, because you can't really do that in your um, professional place that yeah. you're trying to do it, you know, socially or whatever. Where mm -hmm. do you see yourself going with this? Where, where do you want to take this? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm currently in school now for, to become a primal health coach. Um, I want to get that certification so I can start coaching people. Um, I don't know. I think I'd rather stick to health coaching. I think at some point I see myself leaving nursing because I don't know how much longer I can right. do that. It's, it's, I always say I'm a proud hypocrite in that aspect, you know, but I know that what I'm doing in nursing is not what I'm intended to do. I know it goes against my beliefs. Um, so right now, my, my immediate goals, my immediate future goals are to become a health coach awesome. and extend my experience and my skills and my knowledge onto others who may not have you know that general information about nutrition and science and fitness um so that's what i'm focusing on right now at the moment and i love just, it you know giving out as much free information as i can so people can make their own decisions and not feel like they have to buy into all the dogma and conditioning that's out there so yeah. love it love it <laughs> <laughs> okay um so where can people find you if they want to look you up and and mm -hmm you know, follow you and et cetera, where can they find you? I'll put everything below too, but. Sure. So I'm mainly on Instagram and Twitter at the moment on Twitter. I'm not so active, but I'm mainly on Instagram at the keto apocalypse. Um, everyone has been telling me to start a YouTube channel and yes. I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to, yes. kinda, it limits the things that I want to say, you know, you're stuck to like 2200 characters. Yes. And as you can tell, I have a lot, you know, to get off my, uh, my mind. <laughs> um, but right now, mainly on Instagram. At the yes, Kino YouTube. Yes, you have to. You have to. Yeah. I was going to I was gonna push you for that one. You definitely, yeah. you have so much to share. And, and mm -hmm. people need to hear it. They do. It's, yeah. it's really sad how many people really don't know. You think it, a lot of things would be common sense, but I didn't know. And, you know, I had to be hit upside my head, too. So, I mean, it, it needs to get out there. And that's why I do what I do, because it needs to be out there more. Absolutely. And so I, I definitely YouTube. Yes. 
<laughs> well, thank you so very much for being on here. It has been a blast. I, I've learned a lot and I just love what you have to say. It's awesome. And I'm so happy to finally get to meet you face to face. So, well, as face to face as we can be. <laughs> it was <Right>. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This was really fun. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, thank it's a lot much. of fun. So much. Um, uh, also, y'all. Hit the little subscribe button below, please, yes. and, and notification, and follow Jason for sure. I'll have all the information below, so be sure to follow him. He is amazing. You'll love him. Anyway, well, thank you so much for watching. Bye, Jason. Right. Bye. Take have care. a great day. Same to you.